Welcome to Shoot Like a Girl, a podcast featuring interviews with extraordinary military women from around the world who push their limits on and off duty. I'm your host, Kate Stewart, and this is episode number 14. Today's guest is Sarah Apgar. Sarah is an absolute powerhouse. She's a U.S. Army veteran, a mom, and a volunteer firefighter. She's also the founder and CEO of Fit Fighter, which uses a weight called a steel hose made from fire hoses and recycled steel. On November 13th, 2020, Sarah appeared on Shark Tank to pitch her idea and received a deal from Daniel Lubetsky. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this podcast. Thanks, Kate. I'm pumped to be with you. I can't wait to talk. Close to a year ago, when I had sort of just started this podcast, my husband was like, hey, come here, you've got to see this. And I walked into the room and Shark Tank was on. And of course, I got you, you were wearing this awesome red outfit and your arms were just jacked and you were doing this presentation and he's like, you need to get her on the podcast. So I looked you up on Instagram and I've been following you and we've finally been able to connect and set this up. So I am super excited. Yeah. What a good, and like, isn't that an awesome lesson in and of itself? You know, it's kind of like so you, your perseverance always pays off. Um, so I'm excited too. I'm glad we found each other. So where did you grow up and what made you want to join the military? I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm the middle child of uh, two brothers, sandwiched between two brothers and from Baltimore County. And, you know, I I was raised knowing about the military because my dad was actually an intelligence officer back in the 60s. And he always talked very fondly of his military experience and he, he was actually stationed on the east-west German border, you know, which in those days, of course, was a very precarious uh, place to be. And you know, my officer just felt like it really shaped his professional life. So we got a little taste of it early on. Not something that was pushed on us by any means on any of the kids, just kind of like sprinkled into our lives. And when I became an athlete and I was looking at my, my college career ahead of me, I got wind of the ROTC scholarship for the Army um, here in the States. And, you know, this was an amazing scholarship. I, I tell every teenager to look at it. It pays your full tuition to college, gives you great training. I thought I would really love the physical aspects of it. And I was not a person who had like really big lofty aspirations as a teenager of like what I was going to do, you know, after school. And so I took the plunge. I took that scholarship. That was my introduction into the army. And I really, really enjoyed my training and the people I started to meet. And I thought, I think this is going to be, you know, great great fit for me as a first professional career. So I think in Canada, it might be a little bit different for military education. So for the ROTC scholarship, do they pay your tuition and then you've got to give a certain amount of service afterwards or how does that work? Yeah, that's, I'm sure cross borders, things are a little, you know, tweaked a little bit. So I'm glad you mentioned it. So here in the States, the, uh, the reserve officer training course scholarship requires you to do four years of training while you're in your undergraduate, um, degree. And you can also get into the military commissioned as a second lieutenant in um, with the same rank, 
if you go through the officer candidate school route. So that would be our OCS. And that could be agnostic of your degree. Like you don't have to be doing that OTT um, during your degree. You can also do that for, I think it's a year long course. And then finally, you can also go to the military academies, West Point, Annapolis or Air Force here. So all three of those routes get you into the same sort of like funnel. And for ROTC, what you do is you do your four years, full scholarship tuition to a college that has those slots for that program. And then when you leave, you owe four years of service after your undergrad training, once you're commissioned. At West Point, Annapolis, and Air Force is a five-year commitment for going those routes through the academy. Okay. And you went to Princeton, is that correct? Yeah. My undergrad at Princeton, and they have um, an Army ROTC and an Air Force ROTC program. So I was really, again, just so grateful that this was an option for so many reasons. So what made you choose the Army instead of the Navy or Air Force or Marine Corps? I, again, I may have been biased because that was the, you know, the the family history that I came from. But I will also say that I tell people that I believe that at least here, you know, the way the Army, the 16 Army branches are designed in terms of the organization of that service, I believe that there is just the most opportunities for platoon leadership and really that like people focused leadership the earliest on in your career. So in, you know, probably half the branches, whether it's, um, you know, now, of course, infantry and armor, since those branches are open to women, those branches were not open to women when I was commissioned. So that's interesting. So I chose Army Engineer Corps, but whether you're in, you know, field artillery, whether you go with um, even like a medical service field, you pretty much immediately at age 22, you know, you're thrust into this platoon leadership type of role. And that's what I really coveted. That's what I wanted was to Mm -hmm. have a team of people, you know, I was a, I was a field athlete, you know, team athlete in college. And I wanted to have that leadership experience right off the bat versus just an experience of, you know, putting on the uniform and, you know, serving in a, in a role in a service type of role. So because that was important to me, I, I thought I felt learning about all the services that the army would, you know, for the most sort of versatile opportunities. And, and I was, you know, I think that was a, I think that's a fair, judgment. I'm sure those opportunities exist in the other services too. Um, but right away with engineer corps, I was given a combat engineering platoon, you know, right off the bat as my first assignment, which I loved and then spent my entire, most of my four years, you know, in that kind of role, um, became an executive officer. Um, and then it worked in like a staff role my last year, but, you know, by and large, the majority of time was spent like leading and, you know, with my team, with people. And I loved that about the army. Right. I'm also impressed when I hear these stories from Iraq and Afghanistan of people in in positions of leadership and then hearing about how young they were at the time, because I guess I joined when I was 23 and I definitely was not in any sort of leadership positions for the first bunch of years of my career. And now that I'm sort of older, I'm like, oh my goodness, people are doing that younger than when I was when I had joined. So it's pretty crazy. And so you joined pre 9-11. At that time, did it ever occur to you that you know, I could be going to war at some point. I get this question all the time. And the the true, you know, the truth, the honest to God truth is that I really could never have imagined the trajectory of my career when in 1997, I applied for that scholarship and, you know, received that ROTC um, birth at Princeton. And, you know, it was really much more, the highlight at the time was really much more on engagements like the Balkans 
mm -hmm. humanitarian uh, engagements and missions that the army had going on in the early 90s. Of course, there had been the first Gulf War, but the nature of that was so different and the types of units and the types of warfare of that war were so different. And so I remember like it was yesterday with ex extraordinary vividness. Um, I remember that day, which, you know, in recording this on September 12th was obviously yesterday, you know, 20 years ago. So the timing of our podcast is certainly really, um, it's coincidental. Um, I remember that day and then I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is this is probably going to dramatically change, you know, what this is like. And it was only a year later that I was commissioned. In fact, less than, you know, a year later I was commissioned and and my very first assignment within three weeks of landing at Fort Carson was, you know, immediately, you know, off on a charter aircraft to that first assignment in Mosul as a platoon leader. So I definitely, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't after it. That's not necessarily what I, you know, there was no, it's hard, I think, to imagine what would the next 10 years, 20 years would be like. And so, but that looking back, of course, it shaped, it shaped my military career and it largely shaped my work now with Fit Fighter and, you know, the way that I've designed my professional life and ultimately being interested in staying a part of the service, like with the fire, you know, the volunteer fire service and everything that came after absolutely driven by that. And, um, and, and you obviously heard me tell that story, you know, on the shark tank stage, which I did not intend to do, but you know, there's, there's of course like all these sort of surprise questions that sort of come out. And, and I just found myself talking about Nathan Nickus, my soldier who was killed when we were overseas, who was 19 and, um, and that experience for me has, you know, driven a lot of the choices that I've made and inspires a lot of the work that I do and what's what I think really matters is important in terms of memorializing, you know, the legacy of people like that and and always keeping that the big picture top of mind. So yeah, what a great yeah, what something, you know, talk about things you just you never know what your where your path's gonna go. It is so crazy because before that it's you know, we didn't know what we didn't know, but after it happened and, you know, people were flocking to the recruiting centers and, and joining specifically for that reason. But those that had joined before that, it's like, you know, maybe I'll go my whole career without ever being in any sort of conflict zone. Right. So can you maybe tell me a little bit more about the youngest member under your command that you had lost? Yeah. Um, in my platoon, we had 35 men and women, um, 32 men and three women at the time. And Nathan was my youngest soldier. He was actually from the Oregon Army National Guard. So one of the things that happened early on in the Iraq war was in OIF-1 was that a, a huge amount of National Guard and reserve soldiers had been activated and deployed right away given the needs. And so I actually ended up in what was called, I think, they, I think it was just a, um, like a joint platoon of all three types of soldiers from active duty, engineer, corps, battalions, reserve battalions, and National Guard who had been activated. So it was very unique. It was like, you know, active duty from Fort Carson and then a handful of soldiers, you know, from the Oregon Army National Guard to like fill in the MOSs that we needed, which is our word for the military occupational specialty. I don't know if that's the same in Canada. Yeah, we use the same and word. 
you know, so it's very unusual. And it meant that, you know, this is a person who was a student at Oregon. Um, he was an equipment operator, you know, who had always wanted to be in the military. Obviously gives me a lot of emotion, goosebumps to talk about it. And he, um, yeah, it was just like the person, he's like that quintessential soldier, you know, that you want in your, in your platoon. And he was, um, he was killed in an accident there. So it was really, I remember like, like I said, with uh, before some of these moments, I remember like, like I can actually feel the emotions almost, you know, when I start to talk about it, of like being my battalion commander telling me that Nathan had been killed um, because his platoon, his, his squad actually was elsewhere uh, from me at the time. And I just remember feeling, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure I won't ever have that like distinctive exact feeling again. And I hope I'll never have anything quite even close, but yeah, it's really like, you know, then, then the choice is like, we have to live, you know, in memory of those people and make sure we keep the legacy alive of, you know, great service members like that. That must've been hard to just carry on the rest of the deployment. How much longer were you there for after that? Yeah, he was killed on December 16th and we returned from our deployment the following spring, like spring, summer. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, there was quite a bit of time after the fact. And that was definitely weighed on everybody. And when I think about like leadership challenges, it was certainly like the most acute then after you got back, how much longer did you work in the army for before getting out? So when I returned, I mean, that was, like I said, my first year was basically spent on that deployment. And mm -hmm. so, and I didn't do, I didn't do a second after that, because one of the things that happened was when we got back from, uh, um, from Mosul, we, we reflagged. So the 52nd engineer battalion started to draw down just again, because there was so much turmoil, so much happening with like different, you know, with these battalions. So for the next year and a half, I guess about, I was, I was an executive officer. So I was promoted and became an XO of um, one of our companies. I stayed a platoon leader for a while and then, and then was promoted, became an XO. Um, and then I decided, you know, as I was well into my fourth year and I had, you know, I'd met my husband who was an infantry officer. Um, so I'm married to an infantry guy and he was, he had, he was sort of leapfrogging deployments at the time. So he was, you know, on and off and it was clear that this was going to be a really entrenched engagement that, that there was no end in sight for that, which we know was what um, ultimately ensued for years and years. And so we, we both sort of decided collectively, like I was like, you know, this is, I always thought I would stay in for longer. I always wanted to be a company commander. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I decided to get out mostly because of that uncertainty about what the future was going to hold and seeing that, you know, there was deployments happening, you know, year over year and, and it was go for leave for 15 months and come back for nine and leave for another 12 and then come back for six. I mean, it was just a really heavy cycle. So we decided together that we would, you know, finish out our commitments and then leave the service and move on to other things. So, so basically I spent sort of the first two thirds to three quarters of my career as platoon leader executive officer. And then the last sort of nine months I was in a staff position 
for a, the joint command at Peterson Air Force Base, which is also in Colorado Springs. And the joint command was really interesting for me because it gave me a chance to actually then experience like a G level, you know, as in the G3's training office, you know, supporting an Air Force Army joint post um, that was really unique and different. It was, I was still technically in the engineer corps, but I was doing a lot of project management for a lot of, you know, Air Force, like highly technical you know, assignments and projects related to work going on at Peterson and Schreiber, which is a lot of the intelligence related work. So for me, that was, that was really cool. Again, something really just fascinating about, you know, the military, like at the breadth of what, mm-hmm. of what you can do. You know, that's one of the things I talk about a lot to people, because I think that people just have no idea how many different roles you could serve, you know, when you're in the army or the air force, the Navy, and um, you could be a finance officer, you could be a, you know, it's kind of the same in Canada. I mean, if you join as one role, you might end up doing something that's completely different, or there are so many little pockets of different specialties that if you're a go-getter, you can just go and do all of these other little things that might not have anything to do with, with your main job, but there's definitely lots of different opportunities out there. So what made you decide to go to business school after that? So then I had, so when we got out, we actually moved to Europe for two years and that was partly because I was just really looking for some transition time. I felt like a little bit of a floater, you know, when I did get out of the service. And I know a lot of people experience this. So it's something I like to, you know, always bubble up to the surface and talk about because I, I want to make sure that, you know, people who do, who do, you know, commit to service and then get out and to pursue other professional pursuits, that's a tough time. You know, I think people, people imagine that it's an easier transition than it is. You know, people think, oh, you got this great set of skills, you know, all this leadership behind you, but you also are just in this massive lifestyle change. I mean, you, you know, you know, when you're in the service, you're like just living a lifestyle that's really different from anybody else. And so I, I found it to be a really tough transition. So Ben and I decided to actually teach uh, for a couple of years at an international school that was based in Switzerland. So there was a US um, you know, English speaking international school in a small town in Lang, Switzerland. And it was an opportunity to really do something that was still really impactful, you know, really neat that we'd be proud of and give us some time to just take a deep breath and transition and figure out what we're going to do with our lives. And it was during that time that we both, I think, be- became inspired to go back to graduate school, you know, get a master's, have some time to really, you know, continue to gain a, a a new, or I guess like enhanced sort of, you know, professional skill set. He decided to go to medical school and I decided to do my MBA. I was looking for that kind of general education. I thought that would be good for me. I don't think, you know, it's interesting because now I'm running a company. I don't think of myself as a, a particularly uh, intuitively business-minded person. Mm-hmm. I'm Know, highly creative, you know, I love leadership, I love people, but I'm very, um, you know, I'm also very much, I think, the the innovator, the inventor, the creator, sort of a leader, visionary, and for me, that basic core set of business skills was something that I felt like I really needed, and so it was a great choice for me. I, I It's funny because I know a lot of people, in fact, even on, it's funny, even on Shark Tank, I don't know if it's like this on Dragon's Den, but a lot of times the MBA gets kind of like, it gets poo-pooed, it gets, you know, criticized mm-hmm. for being like almost like, oh, you know, you have an MBA. Cause a lot of those, 
sharks. And of course, there's a lot of folks who've been extremely successful in business who have not done that degree and, um, and sort of feel like it's very highly academic. For me, it was a perfect decision because I was starting from square one. You know, I just had zero education at all in that way. And I didn't think I, I'm not so intuitive with the business. And so I loved that. I loved um, the skill set. It was very important. I, I, I lean back on my MBA all the time. And so this was something that was very impactful for me. And I, I really enjoyed it. So hang on one second. This is a taste of an average weekend. <laughs> no worries. So then the story about you, were you just driving past a fire station and then you had missed that camaraderie and then decided to just enroll as a volunteer firefighter? Is that how you got your start? Yeah, that's exactly the story. Uh, so I, yeah, after I finished, um, after I finished my MBA, I, my first role was with Warby Parker. And during that time, which I loved, it was great to get on the ground level with a really cool company as mission driven. I learned during my MBA, one, one of the other reasons it was so impactful is because I had really learned about what I wanted out of a business career and Warby was a great solution. So during those, those five years, I, I felt, I did feel something missing. I felt a void. Um, I felt like I, I loved that military lifestyle and I was getting further and further away from it. And so I learned that on Long Island, a hundred percent of Suffolk County firefighters are volunteers. It's the only place in, in the States, at least that it's like this with this percentage of population, you know, with such a, such a heavy population supported by a hundred percent volunteers. So I thought, wow, this seems like the perfect opportunity to, you know, volunteer, get that service component back in my life and the training too. I just, I mm -hmm. love the training. There's not, there's not, you know, you know, like there's nothing that can replace this, this, this type of skills training with this type of leadership teamwork. So trained as firefighter one emergency, New York state emerging medical technician and started to work as volunteer firefighter. I did that for seven years. Um, I'm on a leave of absence right now because I've got my two little kids in my business and as you've just seen with my youngest running in and out, you know, trying to squeeze in a podcast, it's like, you know, um, it's, it's a lot. So I'm, I'm not actively doing it, but during that time is when the first steel hose and the first, um, you know, inclination I had that I was finding a life mission for me was born in the fire service. So very, very cool founding story. And then when you came up with the idea for the steel hose, which for those listening is basically like a piece of a fire hose with, um, is it lead weight inside of it? So it's actually a, a very fine, perfectly round steel shot. Okay, and right. The steel hose uh, nomenclature for the name. <laughs> and so when you thought of this, did you think like, oh, this is just a great way to get in shape? Or did you immediately see the business potential with it as well? Yeah, you know, it's really important to me that people know the, the sort of true founding story, which is very solving very simple problems for firefighters, which in our case was that we didn't have an opportunity to recreate the real live scenarios of a working fire in the fire ground and the compressed air really holding a charged fire hose charged with high pressure water, highly pressurized water. And we didn't get to do that enough. And all of a sudden you're thrust into this scenario where you know you want that training to be muscle memory. So literally I was solving, helping to solve that problem by creating something much simpler to pull out and train with and mimic that charged hose. And that literally was the first 
Steel Hose application was just recreating the feeling and the movements and the requirements and physical demands of charged fire hose. So really at the beginning, it was just, you know, solving problems and providing training solutions. And what I realized over time is I started having people come to me and say, you know, like trainers, like, like personal trainers, you know, or like the Huntington Fit Body Bootcamp owner. And they were like, hey, we'd love to throw some of these into our small group circuits. And so I had never imagined, I, I really was only going as far as my garage and my firehouse, you know, with mm -hmm. the steel and I started to realize like really organically over time that this was something that could be useful and impactful and a tool that, you know, training tool that others could benefit from who had nothing to do with the fire service, but realized that this structure of the steel hose just by its nature ended up having this very unique imbalanced resistance opportunity and, um, you know, sort of something we had created a type of tool that was really different from any other strength training tool that's out there. And that's when I started to, I, I really started to sort of hear the footsteps a little bit, you know, like in my mind, <laughs> yeah. this, is something that, this is something that we could really build as, you know, as a big idea. And I didn't know how big, but now my feeling is that, you know, we were sitting on a winning lottery ticket and it's just a matter of, really, you know, growing and continuing to educate on this, you know, this huge impactful thing that we stumbled upon. I mean, I, I don't, I'll say it to you on your podcast, Kate, and all your audience. I don't like to say in, you know, Rolling Stone magazine that we stumbled upon the steel hose because, you know, we kind of did. It was like, I like to say it was actually like a perfectly tuned, crystallized idea, you know, start to finish, but that's really not, you know, in the end, this is just um, a very slow bake, you know, slow growth, idea and some of the best ideas I think that um that look like overnight successes I think really have a much longer tail of history on them than people realize it's so neat that you had that business background as well because someone else might have just made it and that's it and it just stays in that fire hall and the idea never leaves but then you know after that then how did you find your way to the shark tank so then this, the story of the past two and a half years is just a wild roller coaster because when we launched in the spring of 2019, I started working with those same trainers and coaches who had come to me and said, hey, I think this is something that would be great, you know, useful for our clients. And so I saw this as something we would really work with channel partners already in the industry and really seed our equipment and our training philosophy and this new way of strength training this sort of new category through professionals. And then in March of 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that market really took a, a turn and all but shut down, you know, I mean, it certainly still, it, it, it grew and evolved into the virtual training environment and everybody sort of needed to evolve with it. But by and large, you know, for us growing a company and sort of out there, you know, on the sales trail, pounding the pavement, that is not something that I could do. And so I totally pivoted and, developed a home fitness version of the product, which was not super, you know, anything wildly different than what we were doing, but it was putting, you know, targeting someone in their living room, needing home fitness now, you know, needing training. We set up an on-demand platform, started to do these Instagram lives. And it was really, um, you know, it was just following the breadcrumbs, you know, where we needed, where can we have impact and how, and how can I also keep the lights on in the company? And then end of May of that year, a few months later, got a call from the Shark Tank producers saying, you know, hey, we found this, you know, your product, we found steel hoses, and we really love, 
what you're doing. We love this backstory. We love your commitment to Tunnels Towers Foundation and that partnership. And you know, we'd love to feature you on the show. And it was sort of like the, you know, the archangels suddenly, you know, shining down. This is a wonderful, this is such an incredible opportunity in that consumer space that we were just trying to sort of like um you know, very sort of, you know, slowly, you know, try to kind of claw our way back into, you know, what was this business going to look like in a, in a pandemic type of market for us. So got that opportunity filmed, um, you know, flew out, filmed that in August, August 12th, actually of 2020 filmed the episode and then got word a couple months later that we're airing in November. And that really launched the company you know, to the big leagues. Like we, we, I was really proud of the start we had, but because of COVID, it had been a lot of drama, a lot of early stage drama, a lot of pivoting. And this helped us to really seed ourselves in the consumer market so that now we can go back as the world awakens and, and, and the sort of new normal thing in our industry, we can go back and work with those channel partners still, you know, those trainers and coaches who are important partners for us in terms of getting this out in our industry but also we have this wonderful consumer population and all of that incredible great exposure from that experience um, that's shining a light on so many aspects of this business, not just the steel hose and the product and our training, but also our mission and you know what clearly you and your husband were sort of attracted to, which is more about like, you know, this is an important, we're on an important mission to yes, make people strong, also highlight service members and military and the importance of supporting, you know, them and our service members and everything about sort of the long-term I've tried to, to set up here um, with this model. So very special experience that has planted a lot of seeds for us. And now it's a matter of like, you know, <laughs> harnessing all those, get the roots deeper and continue to grow. So during COVID, I think that's almost like the perfect time for this because people realized like, oh, I can't get to the gym. So now if I've got an app and just something that's not, it doesn't take up a lot of space, um, something that I could use in my house and have a video and follow along, like maybe I don't need this gym membership. Hopefully that'll help you guys grow some more. And even like your pitch was awesome. You know, sometimes you watch some of them and the people fumble their pitch and they go out there and they don't have any presence. And you just kind of went out there with your bright red outfit and you're throwing the weights around and you could see that they were just like, oh my goodness, who is this woman? And then, so did that discourage you at all when the first couple of sharks didn't go for it? Oh man, you know, totally. I mean, you, you're standing there Oh, I wish you, I wish you could sort of bring to people like to sort of live that whole 40 minutes with me, you know, because in the, in the, when it ended up being, you know, it's all of what seven or seven or eight or nine minutes, you know, when, once you're on TV and it's so edited, but to live that whole, it was much longer, just three times as long in person of, of having that sort of banter and like, you know, and, and getting that feedback and you absolutely do, you, you're sort of standing there and you're just, you have to sort of live in the moment. And I think what you prepare for and what the military ultimately, you know, the, the military gal in me, I think was, I think really strong in that moment. I mean, anybody can get put back on your heels, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. You've done your preparation, you know, you're standing there, you know, as confident as you can be and fielding questions. And yeah, it's a total, of course, feels a little bit like a kick in the face. At the same time, like nailed the pitch, like knew I would have those two minutes to myself, you know, uninterrupted, felt really great about that and was like, hey, I'm leaving all this out, out here, you know, on the, on the stage. And I felt really good about that. 
So I felt like, okay, even if this sort of crashes and burns in terms of the outcome of this, like I, I had to know walking in that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, Shark Tank is just half half business, half entertainment. So you, you got to know walking in that you might leave being humiliated or being, you know, like for entertainment purposes. And it just is what it is. You know, you got to know that. So I think I tell people that too, is like, that's no, that's no small order to, to walk in there and know that, you know, have the confidence to say, like, I, I have to just leave it all out here, but this might not be, you know, this might not be the yellow brick road. This could be, you know, something that doesn't go how you want in something you'll remember for the rest of your life. And so a fascinating once of a lifetime experience to be sure. Doesn't always go well for some people, but you did get a deal out of it. Got a deal with Daniel Lebetsky, who in the end is the perfect partner for me, you know, in the health and wellness industry, has done so much work charitably with his PeaceWorks organization. He has been a, 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 a figure politically and publicly leading, um, you know, efforts, uh, peace efforts with the um, Arab-Israeli conflict, you know, with Palestinians. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's been very, very, he's a unique business person, Mexican-American immigrant, and I'm, you know, really loved getting to know him and being his partner. And I think it's a mutually respectful relationship. We, He's now an investor, an advisor. We talk once a month and, you know, to work on the company. And um, I think it's the best possible outcome it could have been in the end. So I think the stars aligned for us. Awesome. I just have two more questions. So this one, I ask all of my guests, what advice would you give to women looking for a service related career? So, um, you know, something like military or firefighter, or any one of those careers. Yeah. <clears throat> my advice is to be realistic about what your own strengths and limitations are as a leader, as a person, as a professional and seek some support in actually outlining those and thinking about your military career, um, because that is gonna set you up for success. You know, you have a lot for our, you know, full circle to what we talked about in this call, in this um, podcast, we, you know, we talked about how there are so many different opportunities in the military. And so my recommendation is set yourself up for success. You know, this is not easy, whether you're a man or a woman, old, young, wherever you're from, what demographic, um, this is a challenging profession with a lot of demands. And so you want to really know yourself really well and then try to align your branch and your role and your leadership opportunities and your skill sets the best possible way you can with the opportunities in front of you. So to really get, you know, get serious about those exercises and not just sort of like, um, you know, throw spaghetti at a wall and sort of hope for the best in your assignment, there are really ways to be diligent about that. And so that's sort of the, that's, you know, primarily I'd say preparation, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you spend some, spend some time and get some support from your loved ones, your colleagues, your friends. That's something that I did as I was thinking about, you know, what branch, what role, you know, that, where am I going to be most successful? And the last question, I just want you to talk about the foundation that you guys work with, with Fit Fighter. Thank you so much for finishing there. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation was launched after 9-11 when Stephen Siller was a uh, firefighter who was killed at ground zero and had seven brothers and sisters and they who had really helped to raise him because he had actually been orphaned young in his life. 
he had five kids of his own. He was 34 years old and he was killed and his brother. Um, one of his oldest brothers said, we need to start a foundation that's going to memorialize this person and this work and the service and support service members, both military service members and first responders and started the Stephen Stiller Foundation. And it has grown into a uh, one of the biggest nonprofits in the country, providing smart homes um, for wounded veterans and first responders, um, providing mortgage-free homes for the family, the widowed family members of those lost overseas and in, um, and in wars, and also supporting first responders and their families through various national programs here in the States. And it's very, it's a very special organization. They're so efficient all the, you know, 93% of the funding that's raised goes directly into those programs. So I'm really proud to sponsor them through our sales. And so where can we find FitFighter on the internet? Yeah, go to fitfighter.com. That's a place to start. Everybody's got to put a steel hose in their hands. You'll feel the sparks fly and the magic of the training we've talked about. It's tremendous for military training and any kind of um, tactical training. We've just released, by the way, for your audience, um, which I will give you links to, we're releasing October 1st, our first ever 30-day tactical preparation program. So this is going to be ideal for this audience. It's to prepare you for the basic strength fundamentals for any tactical profession, and then we'll build in phase two and three programs off of that. Um, and that's the only thing you need for that program is a steel hose. So this is a really great, efficient way to train weight-loaded training. We do have also an on-demand platform, classes.fitfighter.com for fitness professionals and, and tactical trainers. If you have any of those in your, in your midst, we have also an iOS app that has a simple movement library. So if you're just looking for programming support for clients or athletes or soldiers, um, that's a great one. And the on-demand platform is more coached, robust coached training. And then finally, of course, Instagram at Fitfighter is our brand um, handle. And then at Fitfighter Pro is our product education handle. So those are great ways to find us as a company. And then also to find the, you know, our education site. And if you want to hang with me, it's Sarah.apgar on Instagram. And I kind of like, you know, that's fun pictures of my girls because <laughs> I'm a mom and, you know, sort of my work and, and um, a little more entrepreneurial if you've got, if you've got budding entrepreneurs in your audience. So thanks for asking. And I hope we'll connect. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. This was great. So hopefully everyone goes and checks out those websites and gets a fit fighter. I'd like to see some of those on, on the ships and on the base because, you know, like they don't take up much room and you can do a whole lot of stuff with them. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to help support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on your Apple podcast app.